This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Think about Lawrence. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Hello, friends, and welcome into episode 42 of Press Bass, a college football pod. Guess what? The college football season is here. We have the first weekend of some excitement, some actual games. And wow, it was an interesting one, kicking it all off with Florida and Miami. And we'll dive a little bit deeper into that in just a moment. But what were your thoughts on this weekend? I obviously was just so excited (laughs) because I love the college football season more than anything. It was finally here and it was a great matchup going into the game between Miami and Florida. And then obviously that nightcap. Arizona and Hawaii, but I love the hype around the game, college game day in Magic Kingdom at Disney World, but boy, it was it was sloppy. I'm excited to ask our guest, David Waters, coming on here in a second, what he thought about what I deemed quite a slop fest, but a win's a win, a game's a game. It was still a good matchup, a lot of excitement for a week zero matchup, and um, but now I'm, I'm excited for, for all the fun to begin. Yeah, and I think that you kind of need, you're going to expect those kind of results, I think, sometimes when you are really the only big-time game that's going on. Absolutely. And I'm not taking anything away from Arizona-Hawaii, but let's just be real. That's Nobody was watching that compared to Miami-Florida. <laughs> no. So I think like you can expect some sloppiness to happen, but when it comes down to it, it was fun to watch. And of course, my biggest thing that I love, love, love is Miami's turnover chain. And we got to see that a lot on Saturday night. (laughs) I I do like the turnover chain. I like the turnover chain a lot. And last season, a lot of other teams were adopting that turnover chain idea just with different items and I think that's that's great I think that's great to have that type of um, hype on a defense a defense needs that type of energy and I really really like that the touchdown rings on on the other hand yeah don't get me started that really really drove me a little nuts I'm like you're supposed to score touchdowns Are, are you Really? Yes. What we're doing? I was like, okay, you guys, I like Miami. I like the swag. Believe me, that's my style. But just keep it at the turnover chain where, you know, it's original. It's something you guys started. Keep it at that. Boys, like, let's, let's, let's not do that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to bite my tongue as as best I can right now. It just was a lot. It really bothered, it really, truly bothered me. It was a a lot. Like, go play football. And they weren't up by 45 to be like no prancing around with these touchdown rings give me a break you that's what you're supposed to do you know what I mean I know this 
this new generation they want things they want awards it, it for college football i get it's fun Gosh. But that's that was a lot that was a lot <laughs> Well, we're going to break down this matchup right now. So, Gabriella, why don't you go ahead and introduce us to our guest today? Now we welcome in the manager, creator, and host of Florida Gators Podcast, Gators Breakdown, to break down everything that happened this past weekend. David Waters, thanks so much for coming on. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, where do we even begin with this one? (laughs) But that game was sloppy for both teams for different reasons. First, the biggest issue for the Gators, I thought, in my opinion, was that defense. More missed tackles than can be counted. They brought the pressure at the line of scrimmage, that's for sure, 10 sacks on the night. But let's not forget the D-line was playing against a completely inexperienced, terrified Miami offensive line. That's secondary, though. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the one mismatch I could really could point to going into this game was going to be this this front seven from Florida and, and Todd Grantham's creative blitz schemes going against a, a, a true freshman at left tackle, a redshirt freshman at right tackle, and a center making his first start for Miami. So the, it was that was the most glaring matchup going in, and that's one that absolutely played out like I, like I thought it would. Uh, Ten sacks, 16 tackles for loss. I mean, it was mm-hmm. – uh, it was it, it was a – the way you draw it up and want it to look when you want to show highlights, you just show you just show that game. You don't have to show any other game from that for right now. Uh, and, and Todd Grantham can get away from that selling anybody who wants to come play at Florida those ten sacks and those sixteen tackles for a loss. But you know, you mentioned the tackles, you know, the the missed tackles and the way the game started. You know, first few few drives it wasn't an issue, and then all of a sudden it becomes an issue and. The game of football itself is changing, uh, yeah. especially with you know, concussions and protocols and, and safety. And I, you know, from look, go back and look at Florida's first touchdown, Kadarius Tony, and how many tackles he broke for Miami as well. So, and, and that's another good defense in and of itself. So, I think with the way the game changes, and you have this early game, and I think we'll see it coming up this weekend too with all these other games. Is I think tackling will be an issue. These guys don't get to hit as much as you know when we grew up watching football and. And all these safety protocols, everything they have to do now to protect players. And I just really think you see that translate. Get, playing in a game is different playing in practice. We all know that. You can scrimmage as many times as you want to, but you get out there in front of 55,000 people and both teams are amped up and ready to go, things change. And I think tackling is one of those things uh, that we see. And that's not to excuse it. You know, Dan Mullen said after the after the game that it was an issue. They, that it's something they definitely need to work on. It was an issue for Florida last year early on in the season against the first game of the season, Charleston Southern. They run heavy team, had problems tackling. You play against Kentucky. We all remember uh, Kentucky and, and Benny Snell running all over Florida and tackling was an issue early in the season there. And they they got it figured out. So I'm, I, I'm right now I'm still chalking it up to more of an early season issue right now let's chat about Felipe Franks uh, Florida's quarterback I I love you know his love for the game and and how he kind of gets the crowd involved when things are getting a little bit you know dicey out there he threw for 254 yards two touchdowns but I know he would love to have those two fourth quarter interceptions back Uh, what needs to happen though for Mullen and Franks to really get these kinks out of the offense because I think a lot of people are expecting him to pick up from where he left off at the end of last season. And the reason it, it went off last season was because he was, he was able to run the ball and mm-hmm. that, 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 that crept up the the linebackers that crept up some defensive backs and let us left a lot of one-on-one coverage there. And there were times you know, that, that that was available there Saturday night too, but he wasn't running the ball as much as I 
thought he would, or I like to see maybe some design runs and uh, and the like that we saw towards last year. And the Florida running game itself just didn't get going either. That was probably the biggest surprise for me yeah. was this run game, not 27 attempts for 52 yards. That was really, really surprising. Michael P. Ryan, in okay, 4.2 yards. But Florida only ran 56 plays Saturday because of the turnovers. And there's two interceptions from Franks and the fumbles earlier in the game as well. And, you know, it's hard to spread out carries. You know, P. Ryan had 10 attempts. And, you know, for what the way Florida likes to spread out carries, not not too bad. But, you know, Kadarius Toney had three attempts. Damian Pierce, three attempts. Malik Davis, three. And when when Florida only rushes the ball 27 times, they are going to struggle on offense because Felipe Frank yeah. is not the type of quarterback yet to to just really build the game plan off of. Let him be the sole you know the sole reason that offense succeeds. It, it, that's mm-hmm. not Felipe Frank's game right now. He's not a Big Twelve quarterback, and he's not Tua. He's not Jake Fromm right now. He's mm-hmm. and, and Dan Mullen's offense. It doesn't really matter who the quarterback is. It is predicated off getting that run game going, whether it be from the quarterback, whether it be from the running backs. And I think more the issue was just not really being able to get into a rhythm with only fifty six plays, run game not going, the offensive line. Very young. I was still a little surprised they weren't able to open more run holes there. The pass blocked, okay. But, uh, yeah, those fourth-quarter interceptions can't happen. Everybody was waiting to see if Felipe Franks had taken that next step. And maybe if he didn't throw that very last interception, you know, four and a half minutes to go, Florida can really salt away the game. Probably shouldn't have been throwing there in the first place, but Dan Mullen trusted uh, his quarterback. But, uh, you know, it happened. He had some brush in his face. The ball fluttered up in the air and, and, and got picked off. But, you know, probably uh, – he probably wishes he could at least have that last one back because that, that was the one that almost gave Miami a chance to win the game. Yep. Well, discipline, that seemed to have been a huge component to the Gators game that was missing on Saturday night. Going into the season, I really thought Dan Mullen would have had them whipped into shape. They'd be carrying that momentum from an incredible 10-3 and season and from 2018, a New York Six Bowl win into the start of the year. But discipline, focus, and simple execution, kind of like you touched on in your last answer, were certainly missing on Saturday. Do you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and, and going into and, and talking to people I, I really trust, Florida was really confident going into this game, really confident. And, and now you got to hope that doesn't bleed over because of the lack of focus right. and, and the turnovers. You just hope that doesn't bleed over saying, hey, we were really we were really focused. We were really ready to go and it didn't play out that way. So you know, now I think there is they have a bye week coming up this week because of the game being pushed up and then a cupcake opponent, UT Martin, before they play Kentucky. I think there's some mental work going on now in trying to say hey you know it was a bad game it was a bad night you know the first fumble was a you know a kind of messed up handoff between franks and, and p ryan and then the very next offensive play you fumble again on a pitch to malik davis who who was returning from injury uh, from last year from he got early hurt early in the season so you know missed a lot of time last year it was his first game back and you know some maybe a little bit of rust there uh, as well but still you know a lack of focus of penalties late you know fourth and 34 and marco wilson who Missed last year as well, uh, you know, kind of inexplicably. You let the receiver catch the ball at that point. It's fourth and 34. He's not really going to convert it after that catch. You let him catch it, tackle, move on, you win the game. Uh, but they gave Miami a, another chance. So it was just little things that added up that kept giving Miami the chance. Because that first fumble from from Franks to Piran. Florida's almost going up 14 to three at that point. Right. And you, you go up 14 to three when the way that defense was playing and, and swarming. I'm not so sure Miami has you know, even a slight chance of coming back if Florida gets up 14 to three. Do you think, I know that a lot of people, you know, when they see these SEC teams like in a game like this and it's the beginning of the season, they have to know that obviously they're still working out some of the kinks, but 
good thing for them that they've got some time now to prepare before they really dive into things because there are so many things that they do need to work out to be competitive in the SEC. Absolutely. You know, all eyes were on this game. And of course, there was going yeah. to be a lot of reaction from, from everybody, uh, whether you watch Florida, whether you really don't watch Florida, just because it's the only game uh, right. on TV. And look, there's... <laughs> Admittedly, there are things to fix, but you know it is game one. It's one data point, and you know I've kind of had to talk you know some Gator fans off the ledge a little bit. Oh, this won't work against Auburn. <laughs> this won't work against LSU. This won't work against Georgia. Hey, Florida wasn't playing those three teams Saturday night. They were mm-hmm. playing Miami. They were one and zero. You you escape. You survive. You have time to fix all the other issues. And look, part of it is. You had nothing to compare it to. Say there was, say, say LSU was playing, say Georgia was playing, say Auburn was playing, and they struggled at the same time, or 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 lose a game. You know, Auburn has a tough opener against Oregon coming up, and they lose that game. Well, I can guarantee you they'd rather win a game, an ugly twenty-four to twenty game uh, right. against Oregon, and, and take that. So, you know, part of it is, you know, the game was in the spotlight. Everybody was ready to see if this Gator team could take the next step. And hey, look. Florida has struggled versus Miami recently. Uh, 2013, the last time they played, Florida had a turnover fest and and got beat that game. Well, you had a turnover fest this game, and, and you walked that with a victory. So, and it kind of just follows the same storyline a little bit last year. Florida goes on the road last year against Mississippi State and wins in ugly fashion. Wins an ugly game against LSU. Has to come back against Vanderbilt and, and win. Has to come back against South Carolina and win. And you still end up with 10, 10 wins on the season and, and some high expectations for, for this year. So, you know, it, it, it's just one game. It's one data point. You can take some good. You can take some bad. Uh, but just you, know, you just kind of have to remember that uh, you got to let the season play out a little bit more. And at the end of the day, too, Miami might be a little bit better yeah. than anticipated. I mean, no one really knew what to expect with a new quarterback, an inexperienced mm-hmm. quarterback, a new head coach. Obviously, that offensive line is going to give them troubles throughout this whole entire season. But maybe they have a little bit more going for them than what was expected. But it, it was still a great matchup. Week zero in the books. And David, thank you so much for coming on. People that want to... Follow along with all your Florida Gators coverage throughout the season. Where can they follow you on social media and and get involved with your podcast? Yeah, everybody can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC and the podcast account itself uh, at Gators Breakdown. Uh, Lives at newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown here in Jacksonville and all the you know, podcast platforms out there, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube as well, uh, Spotify, all those services out there. You can find Gators Breakdown and uh, hey, we're we're ramping up. Uh, We're excited. Awesome, David. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, thanks again to David for recapping the Miami-Florida game. Let's dive into some (laughs) Pac-12 after dark. Uh, Arizona taking on Hawaii in the recap of Saturday night's action. So here's a game that was interesting. Just as sloppy and crazy, featured eight turnovers, over 1,100 yards of offense, and 83 points. Uh, let's begin with Hawaii. Quarterback Cole McDonald's first half stats. I'm going to lay these out for you. 25 for 32, 287 yards, four TDs. Then pulled out of the game in the second half after throwing his fourth interception. Uh, <laughs> of, of course, you know, a huge lesson there for McDonald that he can't put his team in danger like that. You can go put up four touch, you know, four touchdowns and some yards and whatever. But if you're going to be, you know, turning over the ball like that, you're going to be taken out of the game. So backup freshman quarterback, Siobhan Cordero replaces him. He was five of seven, 58 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Not bad for coming in as the backup, but obviously 
sloppiness when it comes to you know Hawaii side of things, but Arizona had oh, time. To it take was their time Ella. to take advantage. You know, McDonald's pulled. It's it, it's their yeah. moment. Get a win for the Pac-12 out of the gates, and it was a heartbreaking. And it, it really was. I mean, people that stayed up, I was up watching it, but people tweeting about mm-hmm. it saying, if you're still awake, this is actually mm-hmm. crazy. Hawaii's up seven. Arizona's ball. There were 10 seconds left on the clock. They're first and 10 at the 31-yard line. Arizona's quarterback, Khalil Tate, he tucked the ball and ran. He ran 30 yards. If you heard yeah. before, they were on the 31-yard line. He come up. He came up one yard short. Of tying the game and the clock ran out. One yard short. You know, and it's it's sad, Ella, because we talk about the Pac-12. There's just not a lot of eyes on it. And it's because they play these late games. But I will say this. These games happen all the time in the Pac-12. And Hawaii is obviously not a Pac-12 team. But Pac-12 teams bring the drama in these late night, mm-hmm. night games. Nobody's able to see them, though. So they don't really get, like what goes on in the Pac-12. And some of these games, they're like this, you know, during the actual Pac-12 season. And so you're getting these really competitive games. Now, I'm not sitting here saying Arizona played a great game because they lost. They have to stop having these slow starts. This is something Arizona is known for. I was in Tucson for two years covering this team. Mm -hmm. They had slow starts when I was there. They were giving up big plays, which you cannot do, especially when the Pac-12 season starts. And while McDonald obviously had those turnovers, he also gutted that Arizona pass defense early on. So those are just things that they're going to have to clean up. And it's sad that they lost this game because the Pac-12 needs all the help it can get in the start of the season just to get fans back. I mean, we we harp on, on that discussion almost every week now since we've been doing these college football conference previews of the Pac-12's national narrative and that they can't win out of the conference. And you would think this is an easy one to win, right? And you would think now you can't take away the work of Hawaii's quarterback, Cole McDonald, in that first half. Throwing four touchdowns in the first half, either he's really, really good or Arizona just really had no idea what was going on defensively. So learning lesson from McDonald, Arizona has some film to watch. But the fact that it came down to, I mean, one yard short of OT is crazy. It is. Well, here is the thing, you guys. It is a brand new football season and at the pro level, too. Antonio Brown, uh, he's on the Raiders. We all know that. Le'Veon Bell is with the Jets. And Odell Beckham is in Cleveland. So the one thing that hasn't changed, though, where I'm putting my money down on all those games. My bookie is the place to bet on football every weekend. Our Blue Wire podcasters are using mybookie.com slash Blue Wire to sign up this year. MyBookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. Now, first place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000. And get this, it only costs $100 to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize. MyBookie has live in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys and gals out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet. Win. 
get paid. Well, Kayla, some games coming up that you can bet on through my bookie. Four top 25 teams play on Thursday night. Clemson, Utah, UCF, and Texas A&M. The matchups themselves aren't very flashy. They're all playing unranked teams, but there's still a lot to look for. Obviously, it's exciting to see the Clemson offense back in action. I think even better than what they were last year. I'm interested to see grad transfer quarterback Brandon Wimbush take over at UCF. That's, I think, a very underrated storyline. And I want to see what Utah's really made of. We've been talking very highly of them leading up to the start of the season. They're very favored amongst the, the Pac-12. So so I'm I'm getting ready to see them get this thing going. Yeah, I've talked with so many people, including, remember, Ryan Leaf, who came on the podcast, and a lot of them believers in Utah this season. I give props to you know what they've done there as a program, really building it up in the Pac-12. And it's been kind of consistent in terms of competing the last few years. So I'm excited to see those Utes uh, in action as well. Then, Ella, we have Friday Night Lights for college football. Uh, both, yeah, both number 18, Michigan State, and number 19, Wisconsin, out of the Big Ten are playing. Uh, Sparty taking on Tulsa. And the things that I say to look out for in this game, Ella, new coordinator, Brad Salem, for the offensive side of things, trying to revamp that unit because they're hoping that things are a lot different from 2008 when MSU averaged a Mark D'Antonio era low, 18.7 points, 342.1 yards per game. Yes. So look out for some things with him bringing in that. And then quarterback Ryan Lewicki. How do I say it? Lewerke? Le- Why can't I say this? Lewerke. Lewerke. There we go. Working it. Working it. Lewerke. I'm still having to like Lewerke. pronounce names. Lewerke. Yes, that's a tongue twister. Um, I'm interested to see how healthy his right shoulder looks. Of course, he's dealing with coming off that injury. He is a third year starter. He says he's 100% ready to go. So we'll see if that is the case with him. Okay, so then I'm also um, looking out for Wisconsin as they take on South Florida. They're actually, the Badgers are actually traveling to South Florida. So that'll be interesting just to see this early on in the season. You got the heat, the humidity. That's not something that the Badgers are used to playing in. Now, this is the big news out of Madison. Paul Christ actually announced just recently that he has a starting quarterback, and that will be Jack Cohn. So we'll get to see what this guy is made of. Paul Chris pretty much said that he has gotten most of the reps with the ones during camp and he feels like he's ready. He feels like he's made progress. So we'll see if he can take the reins as a starter. They need a quarterback to kind of help things this this season. They need to have an elite quarterback of some sort, at least like when you get towards the middle of the season and the big chunk of the games. But they do have the running back, Jonathan Taylor, the Doak Walker Award winner. He rushed for over 2,000 yards last year, LS 16 TDs. I think he's going to be phenomenal. So Wisconsin's always known for having the run game, and obviously they pick it up and have this guy coming back. So I think it'll be good in the beginning to kind of give Jack some time because they've got this Jonathan Taylor kid who can run the rock. So that's, that's a good thing. So I think this will be interesting. South Florida, I, I don't think they're going to be great. They've got a new offensive coordinator, so we'll see. I think Wisconsin is very fascinating this year because they had a bit of a down year last year, and we're used to seeing Wisconsin run the Big Ten West. They faced the Big Ten East 
opponent very frequently in the Big Ten championship game the past few years. So last year was interesting to not see them in that Big Ten championship game. So a lot of that is riding on Jack Cohn. We know what Jonathan Taylor is capable of. But I thought it was very interesting when Jack Cohn was named the starter, it wasn't this big announcement. He just came out on the depth chart and people figured out, oh, he must be the starter. And some of the articles I was reading regarding the the new starting quarterback kind of said he just was taking the reps with the ones and kept doing it. And it seemed like a very natural transition from Alex Horney Brook, who departed from the program last season. Jack Cohn does have experience because he took over for Horney Brook last at the end of last season when he was out with a concussion. So he has that experience. But it seems like from what coach was saying and what some of his players were saying is that he's really taken everything to the next level in this offseason off the field wise, leadership wise, and then his confidence and the work he's been doing on the field and building those relationships with his receivers, as we know, is very important for a quarterback. So I think it's a big year for Wisconsin. They got to get back on the scene in the Big Ten West. It's going to be a little more competitive in the Big Ten West this year. So Friday will be will be their, their starting point for that. But well, really quickly on that, though, college game day, there was I can't remember who picked it, but there was a lot of talk of Wisconsin and somebody picked Wisconsin to win the Big Ten. So, yeah. So, I mean, they're getting some pre pre uh, yeah. preseason, I guess you could still say love. Looking at Saturday night, the big boy game, Auburn and Oregon. Here we go. Highly anticipated matchup. This is that good, good football you need in week one. We've talked about in the past. Everyone knows I get fired up about non-conference matchups that we college football needs. And this is one of them, an SEC team and a Pac-12 team battling it out in week one. In my opinion, this is a bigger deal. I'm interested to see what you think about this. This is a bigger deal for Oregon than it is for Auburn because of the Pac-12's irrelevance on the national stage. Here we go again with the same conversation, but Oregon needs to win this game. And, you know, Auburn obviously has a tough schedule in the SEC, but this means more for Oregon, in my opinion. They have that veteran quarterback. He could have been a top 10 draft pick in last year's NFL draft and Justin Herbert. He's also protected, though, by massively experienced offensive line. But on the other side of the ball, they got to go against Auburn's front four, and they're just brutal. Big dudes up front for Auburn as well. So this game could be one in the trenches. It's looking like a tough, aggressive matchup. Neutral location, they're playing at Jerry's World this year. Malzahn needs to have this team fired up, man. Yeah, I think it's definitely, I'm not going to say like Auburn, it doesn't mean anything to Auburn. I mean, it should mean something to Auburn, but I think I, This that, is Oregon's chance to change the narrative. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I think it, it it's it's going to take a while for the Pac-12 to, to get respect again, for sure. But I think this would be a good start just because it is Auburn and because it is an SEC school. But I'm telling you, when... I know that the offensive line is is stout for the Ducks. I know Justin Herbert is it's one of the best quarterbacks in the country right now. But my goodness, this defensive line for the Tigers is scary. And I just – nothing compares to SEC defense. And to, to just kind of get a glimpse of what to expect from them this year is going to be a treat. Um, I'm also really interested to see – what the Auburn true freshman quarterback Bo Nix is going to do because we all know he was granted the job. Um, I think some people think it was the right decision. Some people think it wasn't. Well, guess what? We'll get to see in this first game 
what that's all about. So I'm so excited for this. And I think everybody I keep should... going back and forth in my head. If someone asks me, who do you think is going to win? I have no idea. Because, <laughs> you know, you just think this Auburn defense is going to make it impossible. But no, I don't Oregon's either. Offense may, might just come out so hot. You, you have no idea how it's going to go. I love this matchup. I'm really excited to see who wins it. Um, and then Sunday night, it's a full weekend of football. Sunday night, we'll finally see Jalen Hurts as a Sooner. And then Notre Dame takes the field on Monday night versus Louisville. So that's kind of your general look at the weekend. Yeah. Football. So we'll have tons of college football. Uh, we do want to touch on one thing really quick. Good stuff from the gridiron this week because he was such a force in college at Stanford. And we're talking about the surprising, shocking news of Colts quarterback Andrew Luck announcing his retirement this past weekend. Oh my goodness, Ella. Uh, it was a sad time. I feel like everybody's still in shock. I'm I'm still in shock. I, I'm in shock because of his bravery, to be honest with you, because that's what I'm more focused on, on what he did for himself. Yeah. Football players... There's many football players just like him, probably, and who are suffering. Oh, there is. Plenty of them. And he stood up. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about anything, honestly. But what his body mentally and physically and emotionally was telling him to do. I mean, the whole the whole thing, how it went down, I think made it that much more dramatic. and made it that much more shocking. I mean, he was on the field when the news broke on the sidelines of a preseason game when the news broke. So that made it a lot more crazier for sure. But the way people have come out to support him, but then the backlash he's also getting has just made this whole story so much crazier than it already was before. Yeah, I talked to some Tennessee Titans players after their preseason game on Sunday night. And they, I mean, they have so much respect for this guy. They play in the AFC South against him. They've never beat Andrew Luck, which is crazy. And they never will now since he's retiring. But the amount of guys that I talked to that just said, you know what? We really respect him for his decision. It had to have been a really tough decision because, you know, you give so much to this game. And 29 is still considered young at that quarterback position. Very young. So I think it was really interesting to to hear guys from the NFL who play in the league straight up who are competitors with this guy just say, you know what, wishing him all the best. They have so much respect for him. And again, you know, it started at Stanford. He he has had respect in football in general for years mm-hmm. because he's just one of those guys who just has was gifted to play this game. And it's unfortunate, but at the same time, I get it. But, you know, we'll have to take the years that we saw from him in college and in pros and just, you know, embrace that and embrace what he did for the game and and come to peace with the fact that he won't be playing anymore. So I'm just so impressed by his class and the whole situation. He wasn't expecting to have to go to a podium and explain this to people. Mm -mm. And he opened it for questions on his own. And in the background during the press conference, you could hear people trying to cut him off. Yeah, saying, okay, last one, last one. And he kept taking the questions. Classy of them, classy of the Colts, as we learned that they're not taking any money back from him. I think they could have gotten about $24 million out of him. They said, keep it. They came to a settlement, classy move by the Colts. And again, the way that people are reaching out just goes to show the respect he had. I don't think there are some quarterbacks I think that this could happen to, and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't go down like this. Um, And I think that speaks a lot to, 
he was as a human besides football player. And it's just crazy to think that he was a near perfect prospect coming out of college and his career's over at 29. And um, it's a shame for the football side of things, but hopefully just the beginning for the rest of his life. Yep. So we're wishing Andrew Luck the best in his next endeavor. I'm sure we'll be seeing him on TV sometime down the road, but go enjoy your family and traveling and whatever you want to do, because a lot of the time when you're an NFL player, you don't get to do much of that stuff. So enjoy all of that. Uh, That is a wrap for this week's Press Pass podcast. And Again, loved having on our guest, loved chatting about the first week of, I guess it was week zero, right, of week college zero, yeah. football. Uh, but I'm, I'm just excited because I think the real fun begins now. And we're going to just oh, yeah. every week be bringing you a new guest to break down the biggest game, uh, the biggest headlines. And we'll also be, look out for some pop-up podcasts because if there's anything that breaks during the week or anything crazy that happens, we'll probably be getting out a bonus episode. So make sure to look for those too. Ella, where can people go to follow us, subscribe and all that good stuff? If you're listening on iTunes, please press that subscribe button. Of course, like Kayla said, if we're going to be cranking out some of these extra episodes, you want to know when they drop. So click that subscribe button and give us a rate of review on Twitter. Our personal accounts at Ella Didge at Kayla Anderson TV. The same on Instagram, but on Instagram, we also have at Press Pass Pod. So give us a follow. All right, you guys. Well, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Press Pass. We hope you enjoy. Have a wonderful week and enjoy all the good college football action coming up. See you guys. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Root Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.